Well, good morning, Cornerstone. It's uh, always great to be with you wherever you're watching uh, the service. I'm glad and grateful to be able to connect with you today. We're back in the room, and I can tell you're missed as uh, we record this service. It's, there's nothing like having this room full of all of you and getting to hear the message and worship together live, but this is the best we can do for now. But I look forward to the day when we can all be back together. A few years ago, I uh, went to a Denver Nuggets game, which, by the way, isn't it great that sports are back? Um, but this was back in the good old days during the land of the living where we could go to games like that. And uh, I was there with some friends, and during halftime, they had one of those reunions that many of us have now seen several times over and over again where a, a military um, uh, personnel was away from their family, and they come back, and they have this reunion together with their family, and, and um, they were, had staged this entire thing during halftime. The mom was in on it. A dad was away during a deployment to Africa to help with the Ebola outbreak, and they were going to surprise their four kids during the halftime during the halftime show of the Denver Nuggets game. And so the kids come out with their mom and, and everyone honors the family for the sacrifice they've made. And then they ask them to look up at the Jumbotron and there they watch a message from their dad meant just for them. And uh, those that were kind of filming and, and producing this whole thing did a really good job to capture the faces of those kids. And I'll never forget, two of the kids immediately began to cry. The, the sorrow, the grief of being away from their dad and missing their father was too great. And they just began to cry in front of everyone. And I felt bad for the kids that this was happening in front of all of these thousands of people at a Nuggets game. But it ended very, very good because during the video, the dad snuck out behind them in his military uniform. And everyone got quiet. And you could actually hear in the arena the dad yell out the name of his four children. They turn around. And the cameras are there to catch the expression on each of the kids' faces. And, and they all kind of went through this process of shock, disbelief, to amazement, to joy, and then to the actual, the, the facial expression of gratitude. It was powerful and moving to watch them see, be reconnected with their dad and be once again together face to face. So they, they hug, everyone cheers, and uh, the dad picks up the youngest of his kids, a little boy, and he's holding the little boy, and as soon as he picks the little boy up, the little boy turns to face him while his dad is holding him. And he looks at his dad, and he grabs him by the cheeks and looks right in his eyes. It was almost too good to be true, and he wanted to be certain that his dad was back. They'd been apart for so long. There's nothing like the real thing. There's nothing like face-to-face. -face. Nothing can replace being together, connecting. Zoom can't, a phone call can't, a text can't. And those kids that day experienced their father in person, his presence there with them face to face. Face to face is so important. Uh, another story that I think of when I'm thinking about the importance of being together with people face to face is uh, many years ago, it was actually 20 years ago now, Elise and I were about to get engaged. We were moving along in our relationship, and I went away to India for a month. And uh, we were love struck at the time. And uh, we're still very much in love, but you know what it's like early on. You can't uh, go a day without wanting to talk or connect with um, the, the person that you're dating. And, and I was really missing her. I'd been gone a month. It was a hard month in India. We were there doing some athletic sports ministry uh, with an organization called Athletes in Action. And I was so eager to get home and to be with Elise again and to see her and to hold her hand and to kiss her and to look into her eyes. And I remember when I got off the plane, I thought to myself, oh my gosh, there she is. She's so beautiful. And I, I ran to her to greet her, and nothing could replace being together again. We 
during that month, only had a few phone calls. It was really expensive at that time to call all the way across an ocean, halfway around the world. And so we weren't able to connect during that time, but nothing replaced the face-to-face. Now, Elise had a different reaction because while I was in India, I shaved my head. I lost 21 pounds and I came home very sick. So she said the same thing. Oh my gosh, there he is. But it was a different reaction. A good thing Elise didn't marry me for my looks. Nothing replaces in person face-to-face. We need face-to-face. And we see this right now. I don't know if you've had this experience of being in a grocery store at a restaurant or out on a trail and this confusion about when and where to wear masks, but there are a lot of people who are really dehumanizing others, and I think this is one of the things the masks are doing right now, and I know they're necessary, so we have to live through it, but it's dehumanizing people. It's a faceless feature behind that mask. So you can't see a smile that might calm down a situation. You can't see the stress in a mother's, uh, in her face as she's trying to navigate her children through a grocery store. We're not able to connect. I think that's one of the reasons people just, they believe that they're anonymous and they're able to say terrible things right now. Let's not move in that direction. Let's remember that there is a person and a face behind that mask that frowns, smiles, that Expressions of excitement and curiosity, all of those things. Nothing replaces the face-to-face. Now, saying all that, that sets us up for our message today because we're picking up in our series called Beginnings. Bereshit is the Hebrew word. And what we're doing is we're taking a deep dive into the first few chapters of the book of Genesis. And we're pulling out of that these beginning themes. So these are, this is where the themes start. These themes that kind of become a thread through the entire Bible, pull it all together. And if you understand the ancient themes of the scripture, you'll better understand God's story and your story within it. Now, specifically what that means is that in the beginning, God laid certain foundations that are meant to be a part of our life that are meant to lead to our flourishing. So think of this, ancient beginnings, ancient foundations that bless people today. We build our lives on these, it blesses us, it allows us to bless other people. The Hebrew word that we're looking at to pull out the theme today is the Hebrew word penem. And it is a word that often translates into your English Bibles as the word present or presence but it literally means someone's face or the face of something, the face of a table. Panem is often used in different forms to describe a face-to-face interaction. Nothing replaces face-to-face. Nothing is like the real thing. We first see this word in Genesis chapter one. It's used to describe what's taking place on earth before God forms it. It says that darkness was over the surface, penem, the face of the deep. But then you get to Genesis chapter three, verse eight, and this is where we see the relational message and theme of the word that represent, means presence and face to face. Many of you know what's taken place so far, Adam and Eve been created. They know God as the creator. He's the inspiration and the power behind their very life and everything that they see. They also know that God is their authority. They know that they've been made in the image of God, but they're not equal to God. Aaron helped us understand that a few weeks ago. Such a good thing to remember. But even though they live under the authority of God, they experience God in a way that's very different from many of us. They experience God as loving and close and together and relational, and generous, and fun, and they see God smile, and they see the joy in the Father, the Son, and the Spirit together, and they get to experience all of this because they live in deep connection, in deep oneness with God. 
Now, Genesis chapter 3, verse 8, we see this word appear again, and I'm going to point it out to you because it's not obvious in the way uh, the English translation reads. But I want you to walk away with an image here of face to face. So this is what it says. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. So that's the image. God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord. And this is where the word penem comes in. They hid from the Lord's face among the trees of the garden. So the man and the woman heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord's face or presence among the trees in the garden. Now, I know what many of us want to do, many of us religious types. We want to just jump to the place where we see them hiding, and we understand that all of this is happening after their first fall, the first sin that's taking place. But for the sake of today's message, I don't want to pass over this powerful image and what's taking place before they actually hide. See, Adam and Eve are meant this day to have a face-to-face experience with God just as they had many times in the past. I don't think it takes a lot of liberty or too much liberty, and I think it's okay to kind of read between the lines to think that this is not the first time that God has desired to walk through the garden with Adam and Eve. The cool of the day might uh, represent the most pleasant time of the day. Perhaps God took walks with Adam and Eve often in the morning before they went on to to work and to join God in partnership and creating good culture. I mean, that'd be a great message for us today, right? Spend time with him before we ever get on to doing things with him and for him. But this is not the first time that God has looked for them to walk with him. See, what's happening in the garden is perfect unity between the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, what we call God, and the first man and the first woman. And I want to use an illustration to help us understand this. And so this comes from the Bible Project, which is a resource we love to use here at Cornerstone. And I know our children's ministry has used this illustration to illustrate God's presence with us, uh, heaven and earth. And so I'll use the same today. When God created, he brought both heaven and earth together. And he gave us an experience of oneness and perfect unity between what a person would experience and what God was experiencing with them. His presence was with us completely. It wasn't broken. There was perfect unity. And this walk during the morning only represents many connections that were taking place every day in their life. God with Adam and Eve lived in perfect loving union all the time. It was never broken. It was never separated. In fact, it probably wasn't even that hard. It was natural and easy. We're going to talk about in a moment about seeking the face of God. They didn't really have to seek the face of God. He wasn't hard to find. There was no veil that was clouding things in there in the way they thought about God. There was no false narratives about God that would keep them from thinking that he loved them and was affectionate towards them. They lived in perfect unity with God. And so this scene of walking in the garden was something that happened before. So if you understand that and you replace the toxic narrative, and remember how a few weeks ago I mentioned that uh, there was a study done out of Baylor University that said four out of every 10 Christians in America described God as an angry judge, ready to pounce on them and punish them. So if you take that image into the story, you know what God's doing? God's walking around in the garden in in the morning not to enjoy them, but he's trying to catch them like they're rebellious teenagers or criminals. See, let's replace that image. God's doing what he's done many times. He's enjoying his beloved creation. And so it makes sense that he'd say, where are you? Something's changed, something's different. 
Adam and Eve never hid before this moment. Something has broken that connection, at least in the way Adam and Eve perceive it. God was wanting that day for another face-to-face interaction with his people. Now, it's really important that we understand that this is what it was like in the beginning. Even though it's not what it's like now. But the reason it's important to understand how the whole thing started and how the foundation was laid is because the way it starts is the way it ends. The way it starts, even though it's very different right now, there's a separation that takes place, at least in our experience of of God's presence in our life. The way it starts is the way it ends. Revelation chapter 21 says this, look, God's dwelling place is now among people and he will dwell with them just like it was in the garden. Revelation 22, this is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. They will see him, or they will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. What does that mean? They will be face-to-face, penem. They will be in his presence, face-to-face, no separation, only loving union. The way the story begins and the way the story ends, we see that God has a plan. The word that we use to describe the plan is reconciliation, and the gospel is the name that we're given to his specific plan. But reconciliation means this. It means that God would bridge every gap that was created, he'd remove every hostility, and he'd restore relationship between us and him. And so from the very beginning, from this moment at least, God has been trying to get us back to a garden experience where we could be face-to-face in his presence. This is what you were made for. Now, we think this is a really important theme at Cornerstone. Uh, We teach on this a lot. Uh, Last summer, we did a whole series called With, the With God Life. Certain practices that allow us to put us in God's presence so that we might enjoy him. Gene's got a great chapter in his book on the temple about how God wishes to spend time with us. All of it's about the same stuff. It's about enjoying God's presence and that he is with us. But I want to show you how the story gets a little tricky and why it can be so hard for us at times to enjoy him, to notice him, to see him, and to even believe that God wants to be with us. So the story gets more complicated when you get to the next chapter. So Adam and Eve, they sin. God asks them to leave the garden, which, by the way, here's something that we need to understand. The first sin did not separate them from God because guess what? God walked with Adam and Eve out of the garden. You get to chapter four, you see God interacting with them face-to-face, talking, daily interactions, daily help, daily conversations. See, the consequences of that first sin were simply that they could not eat from the tree of life. We saw that a few weeks ago. God walked with them out of the garden. Their sin did not separate them physically from his presence. But here's where the story gets more complicated. Genesis chapter four. Here's the story of Cain, Adam and Eve's first son. He's jealous of his brother, and he murders him. And here are the consequences. Verse 14, today you are driving me from the land. This is what Cain's saying to God. And I will be hidden from your presence, panem, from the face to face. And I will be a restless wanderer of earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. See, he understands outside of God's presence, there is no peace, and he will wander and look for answers and peace. Genesis 4, 16, so Cain went out from the Lord's presence, Penem, and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. He's a wanderer the rest of his life. So here's a question. Why was his consequence for sin different than Adam and Eve's? 
Now, there are different commentaries on this. There's different explanations of it. I'll tell you what, none of them are very good. Some would say that the consequences of sin are beginning to compound. They're beginning to get more severe. Some would say that what happens with Cain and being cast from God's presence uh, has to do more with the way he had broken relationships with his family. Maybe that's it. But what I do know is that sin actually breaks relationship between people and God, and we see it happening here. But this is what I want you to notice. With Adam and Eve, and then with Cain. I want to muddy the waters, the theological waters that many of us have lived in that says every time you sin, you are separated from God. That did not happen with Adam and Eve. God walked out of the garden with them. However, we do see that Cain's sin had something to do with some kind of separation and leaving God's presence. So sin is serious. It does something to harm the relationship. So how do you explain the difference? I don't know. Um, one of the best ways, that, best illustrations I've ever heard to help at least understand this is what happens with many families today. So many of you um, know someone that has a, uh, adult parents of a, an adult child with an addiction. And usually these, these struggles go on for years. And um, the parents are loving. They're willing to give anything. They're willing to give their own life. They're willing to do whatever they can to help their child recover. But because that child's an adult, they know that they can't. Eventually they figure this out. They know that they can't save them. They can't, uh, they can't do for them what they are not willing to do for themselves. And so as time goes on and the lying continues and perhaps the stealing continues and the family is harmed over and over again, eventually the parents in a loving manner say that there must now be boundaries and a separation to take place. You can't come to this birthday party drunk. You can't keep showing up this way in our home. And so there are boundaries and there are consequences. And none of those things are meant to be a punishment. But they are the natural consequences of harming the family. So even though there are boundaries that are set, even though there are consequences, the relationship is not over. And the love of the parents never, ever stops for the kids. See, I think that's more what happened with Cain. And the reason I think that is as Cain is leaving, guess what God does? God blesses Cain. Right before he leaves, he blesses him. He gives him a promise, and he gives him an anointing on his life that would lead to his protection. But what happens is we now live in this world where the separation is getting bigger, and it's harder to experience the face-to-face -face with God. But that is not to say that people don't experience him face to face. So after the tragic story of Cain, you get to Genesis chapter 5. Look what it says about Enoch in verse 21. Enoch walked faithfully with God for 300 years. In verse 24, it says the same thing. Enoch walked faithfully with God two times. We're told that Enoch walked faithfully with, faithfully with God. Man, there's a life goal that means something that's worth giving yourself to. That someone would say they walked faithfully with God this long. He's walking with God. Knowing what is happening in just the chapters before, I think he's actually face to face with God. Abraham is referred to as a friend of God. In Genesis chapter 18, we're told that the Lord appears to him in the form of the Father, the Son, and Spirit. They appear before him. 
Moses, in Exodus chapter 33, verse 11, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. So even though the separation is getting bigger, God continues to reveal himself to certain people, and he's giving them face-to-face experiences because that is how we were meant to relate to him, close. Many of you know how the story continues because you've been a part of Cornerstone or you're just a student of the Bible. So um, God's presence actually becomes harder and harder for people to enjoy. So even Moses, who we're told that met with God face to face, one day he asked God to show him his glory. God said, you can't take it. And so he had to see it in, in a hidden way. He had to see a reflection, a shadow, just a part of the backside of God because he couldn't handle the whole thing. Later on, when we get to the saga of the temple and that part of the story, uh, Israel builds a movable temple called the tabernacle, and later that's replaced with a permanent temple in Jerusalem. And that tabernacle, by the way, the tabernacle, what's neat about it in a connection to what we're going to talk about with Jesus in a moment, it's a movable temple wrapped in living skins. The physical temple, the permanent temple in Jerusalem, was decorated with scenes from a garden. This is why. The temple becomes a revised garden. That is the place where face-to-face interactions between humanity and God can take place. But it was limited. There was an intermediary, a priest that would go in. God's presence was in the back room of the temple, and people couldn't go in. They were separated by a great veil, a curtain. Nonetheless, the connection was never completely lost. God always provides a way to be with him. God's penen was there. It might have been hid away, but it certainly was accessible. Now, this was enough for people at the time. So you get to David, and you get to the book of the Psalms, and this theme of God's presence and face-to-face continues. And did you know, if you were to, if you were to look at all the prayers of David, the prayer that he prayed the most is for God's face, his presence. Psalm 80, verse 3, restore us, O God, make your face shine on us, that we may be saved. Psalm 31, 16, let your face shine on your servant, save me, from your, save me in your unfailing love. Psalm 51, do not cast me from your presence, panem, do not cast me from the face to face, or take your Holy Spirit from me. Continually ask God, God, move towards me, reveal yourself to me. I know it's hard right now, but he kept asking, he kept asking, he kept asking. It's harder than it was in the garden, but God still would lend his presence to those that love him. Now, one of the things we see happening with David is it's not just that God moves towards us, but there is a seeking that we can do towards God's face, towards his presence. Psalm 105, look to the Lord and his strength. And if there's a verse for the day, this is it. Seek his face always. Close presence, face to face. God is reminding them over and over again, I love to share my presence with you. Seek my face, it can be found. When Solomon dedicates that temple, that permanent temple that replaced the movable tabernacle, look what God says to him. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. I will hear them from heaven and I'll forgive their sin and heal their land. Well, look what God's asking for. That we would seek his face. Not just do what he tells us to. He wants us to be with him, to desire him, 
to want the face-to-face, to be like that little boy in the story at the beginning of this message that grabs his dad by the face and says, this it cannot be replaced. I'm hungry for this. Psalm 24, similar. They will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God their Savior. Such is the generation of those who seek him and who seek your face, the God of Jacob. See, David is describing that there are certain blessings that come with those that seek God's face. They sit in his presence. They desire not just God's blessings. They desire God. Psalm 17, as for me, I will be vindicated and will see your face when I awake, and I will be satisfied with seeing your likeness. Now, are these just images, or is this just metaphor, or is David actually, in some mysterious way, through the work of the Spirit, actually able to experience God face to face? Perhaps he saw him. Maybe David understood this is a metaphor of being in his presence. We don't have to have God physically in the room to know that he's here. We don't have to physically see him, I should say, to know that he's here. He's present with us. But what we see is that during this time where everything got a little bit harder, God continues to seek his people, and he asks us to seek him, and God is faithful. Now, those of you that are a Christian, you understand that this story of God's presence gets more beautiful and intensifies, and it all gets summed up in the person of Jesus. Jesus becomes a new image of the garden. He becomes the new image of the God walking around in the cool of the day. He is a new revised temple. And he comes in the fullness of God to share all of God with us. And so think of that, face to face. The disciples, those that walked with Jesus, they were experiencing God once again face to face like the garden. And he's not just a a version. He's not an imitation of God. Colossians chapter 1 tells us the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. And then it's all summed up, if you skip down to verse 19, for God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him. So God is returning humanity back to the garden. Jesus is that new temple. In the book, The Great Dance, which... Many of you are, are studying right now on Wednesday nights. I think it started this last week. I think there's still room if people would like to join. We've only missed one week. But let me, let me read you a, a couple of quotes from this. This is Baxter Kruger about the importance of Jesus and his presence here and what, the, the, what he does for us. It says, the incarnation means that the God of gods became a real human being, bone of bone and flesh of flesh. But it was not just any God who became human. It was the son of God. It was not that abstract, faceless, omnipower who became human, it was the Father's beloved Son. So did you get that? It was not some faceless power. It was the Father's beloved Son, the one who lives in fellowship of the Spirit with the Father, the one who knows the Father and loves him and shares him. And then he goes on to say this. In Jesus, a union is forged between two things that do not go together, On one side, you have the triune life of God with all of its face-to-face fellowship and purity and fullness and joy and righteousness and integrity. And on the other side, you have the human existence, all of its hiding, its brokenness, its corruption, its disease, its perversion. The incarnation means that these two worlds are united. Wow. Back to the garden. So that we could walk and talk with him. 
See, Jesus reconciles all that was lost. He bridges the gap. He removes, removes the hostility, and he restores the relationship. Beautiful. And that would be enough. But God keeps increasing the connection. So Jesus talked about someone that would come after him that would allow there to be a connection all of the time. And he talked about a new temple. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16, Paul describes it. Don't you know that you yourself are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? God's spirit, the God that walked and talked in the garden, the God that spoke to Abraham, that appeared to Moses, the God that came as a, a rabbi who died on a Roman cross, was buried in a tomb. Three days later, his body warmed up, his eyes opened, his, his, uh, his uh, heart began to pump blood through his body again, he began to breathe again, he stood up and he walked out. That same God lives in you. If you've been around a church for a long time, you've heard that before, it's like so familiar. It's so familiar, it almost doesn't mean anything. But just think about it for a moment. Think about somebody else. Could this be true? That's the new temple? That's the new place of meeting? That's where face-to-face takes place? First Timothy describes that as an anointing that's been placed inside of you. First John says that's something that we're meant to guard and honor, not just in us, but in other people. You have more treasure in you than you know. There is gold inside. So if you go back to Psalm 105, look to the Lord in his strength, seek his face always. All right, apply that to where the temple is now. Seek his face always. We don't have to pilgrimage to Jerusalem. We don't have to just wait for Jesus to come back to enjoy his presence. The distance is so close. The connection is always available. God is always ready to smile at you. He's ready every morning to take that walk. We're given images of what God is doing right now. We're told that he's in heaven and on his, at, he's on his throne and Jesus is there with him. Okay, that same God that's doing that right now also dwells in you. It's a shame we take these treasures because we hear them so often and we take it for granted. The God that walked and talked in the garden, his presence, the panem, is in you. Face to face is the experience that God wants with you. Now listen, if we take this serious, it changes the way we live our lives every day. We take this very serious. You know what we do? We build habits into our lives that allow us to slow down so that we can be face-to-face with God. So we call this prayer or a quiet time. It's to be with him, not to earn anything. It takes some seeking, takes some work, but we are to be with him. That's why we do those things. Um, This should be one of the goals of worship. God doesn't just want to be honored and praised from a distance. He wants to be honored and praised face to face. Close, present, with him. When when life gets tough, um, he, he doesn't want us to grieve at a distance. He wants us to grieve face to face. That's why he lives in us. 
when we're angry with what's happening in the world or even angry with God, the word for this is lament. He doesn't want us to lament from a distance. He wants us to lament face to face. That's why he dwells in you. How about confession? You know, our first response is confession means we need to get our distance from God. Send an email. Send a text. Hey, I screwed up. No, confession is done face to face. And confession is an important part of repentance. And you know what repentance means? It doesn't just mean to turn. It means to return. So think of it this way. You return so that you can be face to face. What an incredible gift we fail to receive. We neglect all the time. The face-to-face experience is available to us right now all the time. Job chapter 19, Job prays a hope. He's praying a promise. God's told him this. He's holding on to it. Listen, this experience can be ours today. This is what he says. For I know that my Redeemer lives, and that in the end he will stand on the earth, and after my skin has been destroyed, yet, my, yet in my flesh I will see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes. I and not another. How my heart yearns within me. You know, this year started with a number of messages here at Cornerstone where we just were trying to um, increase in us a hunger for God. And we kept asking the question, are you hungry for him? What would it look like to be hungry for him, to, to yearn for him? I'm telling you, if you've never tasted the presence of God in your life, the first time you will taste it, you will want more. And it is not so far. The circles, the story of the circles, it starts this way, it gets like this, God brings it back. This is where he's moving us. And so what this means is that every time God draws near, the, 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 the circles are coming more together. We're getting closer. Every time he, we ask to be filled with his spirit, this is what's happening. Every time we make, as it says in Ephesians, more room in our heart for Jesus, this is what takes place. Every time we seek his face as we worship, as we pray, this is what takes place. Every time we make time in our day to be with him, to listen to him. Every time we make time in our week, which is what's called the Sabbath, that connection is possible. We're seeking his face. Every time we make time in our year, which is the appointed times or the feasts or the holidays, guess what's happening? The connection is increasing because God desires face-to-face. And the story is moving back to what we see in Genesis chapter three, a God who walks and talks with his people. Now I want to close um, by just giving us a chance to receive a blessing today. So in Numbers chapter 6, many of you know the story. God had just freed the Jewish people, and uh, he's beginning to form a new identity in them. And part of that identity were the blessings they were to receive and the way they were to pray. And God actually said to Aaron that this is how you're to bless the people, the high priest. And this is how you and all the other priests that are to come after you are to bless the people. And so I want to bless you today. And what we're going to do is I want to pull together this ancient Jewish blessing and a Christian practice called Lectio Divina. And I'm going to read the blessing uh, three times tonight, today, this morning. Um, I want to read it three times, and I want to let God speak to you. I want to give you a moment of being in his presence face to face. Now, what he may do is he may just let you fill his presence with you, but you can be assured you are face to face. He may give you a word. He may give you an emotion. He may give you an action. 
That is God coming face to face to be with you, sharing with you his presence. And so wherever you're at, just invite you to go to the quiet place of prayer, to close your eyes. And I'm going to read through Numbers chapter 6, verse 24, three different times. And I'm going to give you some instructions each time, something to ask for. But as we start, to just quietly to say to God, I'm listening. I'm listening, God, and I'm ready. I'm wanting to be with you, to enjoy you, to be face-to-face with you. And as I read through it this first time, I want you to ask God to now give you a word or a phrase that comes from this blessing that's just for you today. Number six, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. And the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. know listening to scripture is new for some of you as distractions come just let them go don't judge them God gave Aaron this blessing because he wishes to share his face with his people so as I read it a second time I want you now to ask God for an emotion or feeling to go with this he speaks to our head and he speaks to our heart so an emotion or a feeling that perhaps can go with that word or phrase or maybe it's different but let God speak to you Father, we're listening. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. And as I read it one last time, I want you to use your imagination. Why don't you imagine a garden? It's the morning. And he calls out your name. And he greets you with a smile because you're face to face. You make God smile. And then let God give you a next step or an action as we read it one last time. So imagining God, let him give you an action here. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Father God, I thank you for whatever was shared whoever is listening and watching today. We bless that in Jesus' name. I pray that it would not be forgotten. Father, as we 
taste and see as we spend time in your presence. We hear your, the, the words that you're speaking to us. You give us a word that's just for our heart. You give us an action or a feeling. God, we know that it's your care and your attention with, to us. I pray we would not forget. Whatever step of obedience or next step or action that you spoke to, to our church father, to each of these people, I bless that in Jesus' name. And I pray that you would give them courage to walk in that. Perhaps you spoke, spoke promise to certain people. I pray you'd give them faith to hold on to that promise as long as it takes for you to, to deliver on that. Thank you that your blessings are great, but thank you that most of all, what we need is you. And thank you that the distance is close. The gap has been closed, the connection is available, and you are waiting for us with a smile to be face to face. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.